The Stein Online Clubland Q&A begins right now. Welcome along. It is 5 p.m. North American Eastern Time. That's 6 p.m. in the Canadian Maritimes, half past six in Newfoundland and beyond the Americas, 10 p.m. in London, 11 p.m. in Paris, midnight in Kiev, which the Western media now spell with a Y for the impending Operation Enduring Cock-Up. 1 a.m. in Moscow, where Putin is running out of socks to laugh off. Half past one in Tehran for all you Newfoundlanders who moved to Iran, uh, because there's much more liberty there than there is in Canada these days. 3.45 a.m. in Kathmandu. For all you Iranians who moved to Nepal to check out the quarter-hour time zone, 6 a.m. in Singapore, Honkers and Perth, and I'm terribly sorry about that. Uh, 9 a.m. in Sydney, which is a far more convivial hour for the Kippers and Kedgeree, and Saturday afternoon for listeners in the Pacific. If, in fact, I'm wrong on that and it's already Sunday in the Pacific, uh, let us know how you're enjoying our latest Sunday poem, which for the rest of the planet will be airing in a day or two, because uh, altogether now, video poetry is where the big bucks are. 100 years ago today, February 18th, 1922, a baby boy was born in Dunfermline, Grenada. He grew up to become the Right Honourable Sir Eric Gary, PC, First Prime Minister of Independent Grenada, until 1979, when he was overthrown while giving a speech to the UN in New York about flying saucers. Um, Maurice Bishop's New Jewel movement formed a people's revolutionary government, but they kept the Queen and her Viceroy, Sir Paul Schoon, and so for four years, until Mr Bishop met an untimely end, Her Majesty presided over a Politburo, one of many unique experiences in her long reign, uh, but perhaps no longer so unique given the past week in Ottawa. The House of Commons was supposed to meet today to approve Justin Trudeau's quote-unquote emergency, as is required by... uh, What's what's that word again? Oh, yeah, law, as required by law. But instead, Parliament was uh, mysteriously closed because of a police operation arising from the quote-unquote emergency. So the people's representatives cannot approve the emergency because of the emergency. All very circular, isn't it? And inside the circle, deciding everything, is Justin and his own little maple-flavoured Politburo. At this hour, Ottawa police in the full Robocop are kneeing veterans 
and smashing the windows of big rig 18-wheelers and also of little itsy-bitsy Volkswagens with citizens bringing medical supplies for the truckers. This is a time for choosing. In Canada, uh, as in Austria and Germany and other countries, we are witnessing, as I said the other day, pilot programs. So uh, let's get do, let's get to it. You know how this works. Uh, any one of the seven and a half billion people across the planet are free to listen. You only have to be a member to ask a question. So if you don't want to ask a question, no need to become a member. Although we would appreciate your company, and I think you'll find us a convivial bunch. Robert Bridges writes as a Canadian, Mark. How does it feel to see the country having lost its way? Well, it feels uh, gut-wrenching and terrible because I love Canada. But the Canada I love has been dying a long time. And the people who matter in Canada are quite upfront about uh, why it needs to die and why something new has to take its place. And this week we saw the something new. Now, if you go back four and a half years to the sesquicentennial, July 1st, uh, 2017, which was a big bust, a big stinking flopperoo, if you saw those observances uh, at Parliament Hill, where the truckers have been. And in fact, I had a rather uh, convivial evening with Justin Trudeau's mum, Margaret Trudeau, who is always delightful company. And uh, I asked her how it went because she was sitting next to Charles and Camilla and she had a couple of uh, royal anecdotes to share, uh, but then also agreed that it was a huge bust. So this country, the Dominion of Canada, has been dying a long time. And the important point here for people who aren't interested in Canada, as you know, most of the world isn't, but it applies to Americans, it, it uh, applies to people from the UK, people from Australia. It's a little different on the continent, but not that, not that much different. But I'll just give you the Canadian version because Canada happens to be in the, the news. We uh, live in times when Canadians are taught to hate Canada. And so, for example, the Prime Minister, the father of Confederation, Sir John A. Macdonald, is reviled. His statues are, to are toppled across the map. The uh, one in Montreal, I used to love to drive past the statues of uh, Sir John A. Macdonald and Queen Victoria because they remind you that your country has roots. They remind you you are part of a great historical stream. Well, uh, that statue of Sir John in Montreal was toppled and beheaded. And of course, the regime that governs Montreal is in no particular hurry to put it back up again. Likewise for statues of Queen Victoria and even of statues of the present queen, Queen Elizabeth the second, and for statues of all kinds of other people, some of whom you've heard of, some of whom you haven't. 
And, th and that's on top of all the name changes from the pub that used to be his law office in Kingston, Ontario, which is no longer named after him, and for all the little grade schools that are no longer named after him. Um, for months on end, the flag flew at half-mast, half-staff, and I have no, I forget the reason why. I think it was something to do, uh, was it something to do with all those mass graves at residential schools, which turn out not to be mass graves at all, but that was just more fake news. But here's the point. And as I said, you can do this for the United States. You can do this for the United Kingdom. You can do this for whatever your country happens to be. Uh, they're telling you that all the people who matter are telling you that they revile your country's history, your country's inheritance, and they will not defend it. So there's no big... And, and the only reason to do that, the only reason to demolish everything and leave a void is for something else to incubate in that void. And today, this week in Ottawa, we're seeing what the something else is. And so these people are not hiding anything. They've been perfectly upfront about the fact that they hate the country they govern. They hate its culture. They hate its traditions. They're perfectly upfront about that, perfectly honest about that. All you have to do to see where this would lead is to take them at their word. You know, I wouldn't say these things. I like Sir John A. Macdonald. I like Queen Victoria. Without Queen Victoria and Sir John A. Macdonald, Canada wouldn't exist, and I would regret that. Uh, so I, I, I don't have any trouble saying, yeah, he was a great guy. She was a great queen. And I don't take it lightly when these monsters destroy these statues. They're not even prosecuted. You know, it's very, if you give $50 to the truckers, they'll freeze your bank account and ruin your life, destroy your life, as they did to the January 6th guys south of the border. But if you behead Sir John A. Macdonald in the middle of Montreal, they won't even prosecute you. If you uh, demolish the statue of the Queen at, uh, I think that was the Manitoba State Legislature, they won't do any. It was, or maybe it was another one. It's so hard to keep up. Statues tumbling all the time. You know, and uh, as uh, Nancy Pelosi says, she's not that bothered about statues. And as Rich Lowry, of the editor of National Review, says, yes, he's bothered about some statues, but not other statues. He'd like to pick and choose uh, which statue toppling he opposes. You don't, you don't get that opportunity. You really don't. Because it's not something civilized societies do. It's, it's, uh, it's something that happens in totalitarian societies. And I used to make the joke that, uh, well, it wasn't really a joke. It was an accurate observation that you could tell a lot about how various Commonwealth countries had turned out simply by whether they'd left their statues of Queen Victoria up. Uh, and now Canada has joined the ranks of uh, those that uh, topple all the statues. The point here is that these people are perfectly upfront about 
the fact that they hate the country, they hate the culture, they hate the civilizational inheritance, and they want something other in its place. And now we're seeing the something other. You know, the reason I like old statues is because I'm a conservative in disposition first. As many uh, of you complain, uh, all, the, all the songs I like, all the poems I like, all the stories I like, uh, all the movies I like, all the plays I like, are by people who are long dead. Yes, I'm a conservative in my tastes, so I don't have any problem saying I like that statue of uh, Sir John A. Macdonald, and I would like it to stay where it is right now. And uh, that's a conservative position, and it turns out there aren't a lot of conservatives. Uh, look at look at Max Boot and Bill Crystal cheering on Trudeau's state of emergency. Look at Andrew Coyne, my old colleague from Maclean's and the National Post, and I I think I last saw Andrew a couple of years ago when he came to one of my speeches in Toronto. I can't think why on earth he would ever want to come to one of my speeches ever again. But uh, these people, Bill Crystal and Max Boot, are cheering on Trudeau's state of emergency. If you're one of the many people, we had a lot of them on the Mark Stein cruise because the Weekly Standard cruise was cancelled at the last minute uh, because the Weekly Standard ceased to exist because Bill Crystal killed his magazine. And so uh, the the company that they were booked with said, well, why don't you, if you like hanging out with uh, conservative type people, why don't you, uh, why don't you go on this Mark Stein cruise instead? So we wound up with a lot of people who'd originally been booked on the Weekly Standard cruise. If you subscribe to the Weekly Standard magazine for all those years, you were basically the victim of a hoax. It turns out Bill Crystal isn't in the least bit conservative. Nobody of any serious conservative disposition could support Justin Trudeau's state of emergency. As I said last week on telly, people didn't like it when his dad... Uh, um, uh, always remember uh, the guy at CJAD. He said, uh, this morning I woke up in a police state and they suspended him. And he was quite right when his dad invoked the state of emergency, Pierre Trudeau. But Pierre Trudeau was dealing with a Quebec secessionist movement that had just uh, kidnapped uh, the UK trade representative in Montreal. Uh, so he had some real, whatever you make of his actions, he had some real and uh, unprecedented emergencies to deal with. You can't say that of this guy. This is this is just teaching. This is just punishing people who dissent from officialdom. You can have a total ineffectual dissent, like the Canadian Conservative Party under Erin O'Toole, and given their silence in recent days under you know whoever is the interim leader right now. I won't embarrass her by mentioning her name, but it's not even a thing about her. The, the entire party is silent and useless. So they're teaching you the lesson. The people who run things, the people who are in charge of things, the people who pick up the phone and say to GoFundMe, hey, 
you might want to uh, uh, take back all, all that money you took from the truckers. Why don't you just give it to Black Lives Matter? The people who pick up the phone and say to their chum, hey, you know, you're very good at this uh, hacking business. Why don't you try hacking into this uh, other guy who's replaced GoFundMe? Uh, The people who uh, pass the lists of donors to the convoys and pass them on to the CBC, to whose pathetic journalists are basically doing this we-know-where-you-live intimidation to $50 donor. I couldn't help noticing that you, Mrs. Scroggins of 54B Strathcona Gardens, gave $50 to the, uh, to the truckers. I wonder if you could get back to me and just let me know why it was you did that. All the people who matter... Uh, are agreed that uh, this is never going to happen again. That there's there's going to... You can support the regime. You can oppose it ineffectually like Erin O'Toole. I, where is Erin O'Toole now, by the way? I don't think anybody's <laughs> seen or heard of him. For all we know, he might be in the gulag. But unless you can provide that kind of ineffectual opposition, Canadian Tory Party, um, U.S. Republican Party, uh, you're going to get, if you try to go beyond that, we're going to freeze your bank accounts. We're going to ruin your life. In America, we'll shoot you. We can't really do that in Canada yet. We we can uh, only knee you in the groin, as they're doing in Ottawa. We can only take the truncheon. Uh, to you. One day we'll be able to shoot you, but we can't do that just yet. That's just south of the border. Uh, And if we don't shoot you, then we'll put you in jail and hold you for a year and a half without trial, as uh, they're doing to the January 6th guy. No trial date in sight. Uh, that's that's the world we're in. I've gone I've gone too long on that question. And I apologize. Kate Smythe from down under says hi mark it's been interesting in recent weeks to see justin trudeau shift from quarantining himself and faking illness to quarantining the bank accounts of peaceful protesters and faking a national emergency in the last 24 hours while police arrest truckers and block journalists he's isolated parliament hill and secured downtown ottawa and ensured any chance of democratic debate over his use of the act is in lockdown. Why is no less extreme faction of the Liberal Party of Canada challenging the leadership of Trudeau and Freeland if his handling of the situation is so unpopular? Or does the party implicitly support Trudeau, similar to the presidents and prime ministers of the free world? Well, well, that's a very good question, Kate. You notice uh, on uh, my show on GB News that we occasionally have people of the left who have parted company from the with, with the left in the last two years, such as Naomi Wolf, who was on with me uh, a couple of weeks back uh, from from America, or also Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who is a man of the left, uh, but. It now it heads an organization devoted to exposing some of the damage that is being done by the medical tyranny 
that, uh, that we live under almost everywhere in the Western world. And what's interesting about people like Naomi Wolf and RFK Jr. is how few of them there are. And that's true of if you look at the caliber of person who goes into politics, you have to be incredibly strong-willed to buck your party because if you, if you insist on bucking your party, you're likely to find yourself out at the next election and denied all the benefits of uh, going along with the party, such as being put in the Canadian Senate or the House of Lords. Uh, that's, that's another one. Uh, Kate Hoey, who was uh, on with me yesterday at GB News, she opposes her party on Brexit and uh, uh, the Union of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. And you pay a price. You pay a price for that. And it becomes quite lonely. And if you look at the caliber of person who becomes an MP, you know, the idea that there is a less extreme faction of the Liberal Party, that's as big a delusion as, for example, the idea that Joe Biden was being uh, elected as a moderate. Joe Biden is the creature of whoever's waggling him, whoever's got his hand up the sock puppet. And the people who have their hand at the sock puppet in the of uh, the sock puppet in the Democrat Party are the uh, extreme left. That's where the energy is. So Joe Biden has governed not as the lifelong half-century moderate who worked with segregationists and uh, reached across the aisle and all the rest of it. He's now uh, the sock puppet of a hard left because he wants. You know, like Nancy Pelosi, like all of these people. Uh, this idea that there is a less extreme wing just doesn't work anymore. This is where the energy is. This is where the energy is. And it would require there being a lot more Naomi Wolfs and RFK Juniors for that, uh, that situation to change. Uh, Cyrano from the High Mountains writes... Uh, do you think the continued escalation in Canada and the lowering of the mask? <laughs> yes, the mask slips. What an appropriate image that is for the last two years. That's been hiding the authoritarian core of big government could have a similar effect as what happened in Birmingham in 1963. And could there be a letters from an Ottawa jail moment forthcoming? Canada doesn't have really that kind of history. You know, people are bored by Canada because Canada was the boring bit of North America. It didn't join the revolution. In fact, large numbers of people fled from the uh, provinces that rose up in revolution. So they fled from what's now New York State and uh, settled in what's now Ontario along uh, what's now the, uh, or was last time I drove it, maybe they've chipped uh, uh, that name away, the Empire Loyalist Parkway, kind of names like that anymore. So, And its whole thing, you know, and in 1867, July the 1st, it wasn't a nation as such. It wasn't an independent nation. It was a dominion. Uh, of Her Majesty the Queen, and nobody quite knew what that term meant, and it wasn't really uh, 
defined for another 54 years until the Statute of Westminster in 1931, and Canadian citizenship didn't exist for another 20 years after that. So uh, it's an evolving Something like Canada is is not is uh, is an, a slow, boring evolutionary process, and for that definition, you know, one of the problems. And I take your point. Letter from Birmingham Jail, nineteen sixty-three, and all that. And you know, to be honest, one of the terrible things, terrible moronizing things of the last two years was the effect that George Floyd's death had, which resulted in the imposition of a racial paradigm on large parts of the rest of the world that do not have the particular racial paradigm that the United States have. You know, countries are particular to themselves. Uh, One of the great advantages of France's snotty uh, cultural supremacy is that uh, France? Oh, yeah, we don't. Uh, we uh, we don't want your uh, your little uh, George Floyd uh, paradigm imposed in France. We are the French Republic, and we have our own history, which is noble and glorious. And we don't want any of yours being imposed on it. And that's actually a that's a, a great advantage. That. Um, uh, Andrew says, how did the mainstream media shutout affect the Trudeau government's conception and response to the Ottawa trucker process? On alternative and independent foreign media, the leaders of the protests are clearly identified and lucidly answering questions. But go to CBC and some professor is being consulted to explain the meaning of, quote, freedom. Is Trudeau piqued that he knows more about what is happening in Ukraine than in his own capital. No, Trudeau well knows the nature of the truckers and the other protesters in his own capital. He's the one who implicitly gave orders to the disgraceful CBC. You know, what Andrew Coyne was saying there with Rosie Barton, and, you know, these are people I've always got on with and go back a ways with. But it was, as you say, you can't really be a serious reporter, a serious news organization. And the first-hand sources are there. You know, if you know um, Ottawa, uh, the CBC headquarters are just almost directly two blocks south of Parliament. So there's Wellington Street and then two blocks below Wellington, or one block if you want to go in the back door, as I've done from time to time. Uh, One block below Wellington Street is the CBC. So in fact, they're all sitting in the building and they can send someone out to talk to the leaders of the protest uh, and, and and that reporter can be back in 15 minutes. But instead, as you say, and it's very well put, they'd, they'd rather have some professor of social justice studies uh, coming on to explain the reality of what's underpinning the protesters. So this isn't, this isn't just accidental. They can look out the window, see who's doing what, and be interviewing them within five minutes. And they've chosen not to do that. So, for example, 
at GB News, we've interviewed more people directly on the streets. Our friend Andrew Lawton has spoken to more people directly on Wellington Street and on Parliament Hill about this thing. It's a cons- it's a conscious choice that they made. And I I don't know how they can do it. I don't know why they'd want to do it. I I even when I started in this line, I chafed at being and and uh, <laughs> and you know in in my last uh, appearances at uh, uh, Fox, I used to get a warning uh, occasionally. They figured it out after the third or fourth time. Uh, not every time I mentioned Justin Trudeau to go, mammy. <laughs> Uh, and as my makeup artist noticed that uh, as long um, as long as uh, as they said don't don't go mammy uh, you could rely on me going mammy as soon as I got on air with with Tucker so eventually they stopped doing it actually I've just had this is the evil of what's going on. Andrew Lawton, whom I mentioned just now, who many of you have met, who many of you have known, who appeared on uh, GB News with Colin Brazier a few days ago and uh, works on uh, our show and uh, has guest hosted our audio show here at Stein Online. Andrew has just been maced, maced by the coppers. Andrew Lawton has just been maced by the coppers. That's Ottawa. That's the boring old dominion of Canada in which basically Andrew and the truckers and people who gave 20 bucks to the truckers are now being treated the same way as the statue of Sir John A. Macdonald and the statue of Queen Victoria and the statue of her present queen. Because, as I said, they're not keeping it secret. When they do that, when they do this idea that, you know, Antifa and BLM are anarchists. And uh, no, they're not. They're the shock troops of the uh, globalist establishments in these countries. So what they let uh, what they let Antifa and the like do to Queen Victoria and Sir John A. Macdonald is an indication of what they're going to be doing to you. And they've just done it to Andrew Lawton, uh, Parliament Hill on Wellington Street. He's just been maced by the coppers. Glenn uh, Flint says, Hi, Mark. Has Trudeau failed to keep up with the ever-changing science of COVID? Blue state governors, Saskatchewan, Alberta, and several European countries are lifting their vaccine and mask mandates. Narrative 2.0 is that Joe Brandon beat COVID just like he beat Corn Pop with that rusty bicycle chain. Now Justin's backed into his bunker by the Truckers for Freedom. If he lifts the vaccine mandate, they win. He refused to relent. He's out of step with the new science and denies Joe Brandon a victory lap. Is anyone feeling the effects of this many trucks on strike? What's he going to do? Well, we're seeing what's he going to do. He's he's going to mace Andrew Lawton, which he's just done. Um, yeah, you're right, 
that one effect of the truckers was that s- several Canadian provinces, uh, not not just Saskatchewan and Alberta, but even more unlikely when this thing started, Ontario and Quebec uh, decided to end their COVID regimes uh, completely in the case of Quebec. Uh, now we, and as you say, certain other places have done it, uh, England and Northern Ireland and the Netherlands and, and one or two other places. But for for certain leaders and maybe eventually all leaders, it's nothing to do with Omicron or whatever variant comes along next. It's nothing really to do with COVID anymore. It's to do with establishing, uh, and this, this is what we're seeing on the streets of Ottawa, it's to, it's to do with establishing the digital passport, as they call it in Europe, which is basically a China-style surveillance regime. They don't really need to be too explicit of that about that because I think everybody who winds up getting their bank account frozen and, and you know Christia Freeland is boasting that those doxed donors names have been sent to the Royal Bank of Canada and the Bank of Montreal and the Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce and Scotia Bank and all the others uh, and they're now complying with it and uh, getting on with freezing the bank accounts. Don't you like Christia Freeland's name? I mentioned <laughs> to Maxime yesterday that UK, some UK viewers will remember her as a particularly crap editor of the Financial Times in London. And uh, she's now Justin's deputy. Yeah, Christia Freeland. Freeland by name, but not by nature. Nicola Timmerman says, Mounted police now in waiting in Ottawa. Bunch of Cossacks. Another freedom convoy leader arrested. Just wish the demonstrators had a wider repertoire of songs to sing. How about the Canadian version of This Land is My Land? No, uh, as in Australia, uh, this land is the, uh, the Aber- is Aboriginal land. This land is anything but your land, uh, Nicola. Uh, Mark Stein, live with our Clubland uh, Q&A. Uh, we're going to take more of your questions in just a minute. Uh, but first, uh, as we always do, a sense of perspective. Keep up to date with the past. On the 100 Years Ago Show with Mark Stein. Baseball or the bench, chess on Mars, and no laughs on radio. It's February 1922. A hundred years from today. Your world news update, the messy aftermath of the Great War appears to be settling down. The Permanent Court of International Justice has officially begun operating in The Hague and the US Department of War has announced that more than half of the remaining 6,000 American troops in Germany will be withdrawn. Latvia has its first constitution adopted by its Constitutional Assembly and Lithuania has begun its program of land reform under which over a million acres will be nationalized and then redistributed. Where we stop the rest of the 
the Prince of Wales has received an enthusiastic welcome upon his arrival in Delhi. Chitaranjan Das, President-elect of the Indian National Congress, was not there to meet him. At one point, Mr Das would have been just the person to present to His Royal Highness. He maintained a personal laundry in Paris to clean and repair his handmade London suits. But he gave all that up when he joined the non-cooperation movement and began wearing the khadi cloth favoured by Mr Gandhi. Mr Das was arrested in December on charges of being manager of an unlawful association and has now been sentenced to six months' imprisonment. Ali Muslia will also not be meeting the prince. The imam of Tirurangadi Masjid led the uprising at Malabar which was finally put down last month. He has been hanged at Coimbatore Prison. Want to see a rake or plow? And who the deuce can party to a cow? How you gonna keep them down on the farm after they've seen Paris? How are you gonna keep them down on the farm? Well, maybe through agricultural cooperatives in which farmers pool their resources in certain areas. In the United States, President Harding has signed into law the Cooperative Marketing Associations Act, which permits farmers' cooperatives to be formed and exempts them from antitrust laws. Kennesaw Mountain Landis uh, is both a federal judge and America's first commissioner of baseball. The American Bar Association and a lot of other people do not think federal judges should be moonlighting in other employment and have been trying without success to have Congress legislate against it. Mr Landis has now chosen the ball game over the bench and quit his judgeship, protesting that, quote, there are not enough hours in the day. The US Bureau of Prohibition now has a fleet of 11 airplanes painted in battleship grey to clamp down on the importation of illegal liquor by sea. Its first catch was the British schooner Annabelle. The federal planes swooped and armed with machine guns, their men seized the vessel and its 21-strong crew and forced the boat ashore in Florida. The American airship Roma departed Langley Field for a test flight of its new Liberty L-12 engines and was approaching Hampton Roads Naval Base when it began tilting forward and then descended rapidly. It struck electrical wires and its hydrogen gas burst into flames. 34 people are dead, all but five of them officers or enlisted men of the U.S. Army's air service. Everybody loves a baby, that's why I'm in love with you. Pretty baby, pretty baby. And I'd like to be your sister, brother, dad, and mother too. Pretty baby, pretty baby. Not everybody loves a baby. 
but the government of Japan does. Margaret Sanger, the advocate of so-called birth control, was due to sail from San Francisco on the steamer Taiyo Maru to begin a lecture tour of the country, but the Japanese government has now banned her from entry into that nation. A new series by Edgar Rice Burroughs has begun in Argosy All Story Weekly. It is set on Mars and is called the Chessman of Mars because the ingenious Mr. Burroughs has invented a board game that is a Martian version of chess with 100 squares and 20 pieces. Fans of the author are now demanding to know the full rules so they can play Martian chess at home. If you've ever seen Edwin in his perfect fool character on Broadway, you'll know that it's one of the funniest nights out to be had anywhere. So you can understand why New York's WJZ, when it decided it would be the first radio station to broadcast a live comedy show, felt Mr. Wynn would be the perfect choice. Alas, it was no laughing matter. The perfect fool found himself thrown off his timing by having to deliver his routine into a microphone without benefit of an audience. And surefire gags such as his uncle naming his automobile Baby because it won't go anywhere without a rattle, fell very flat. Arkansas has its first radio station, WOK in Pine Bluff, as does Iowa, WOC in Davenport. Seven theatres in Washington, D.C. have been closed following safety inspections in the wake of the Knickerbocker Theatre disaster. Daddy. artists would rather sing Dada, you've been a mother to me. But now the avant-garde Dada art movement is deeply divided following the author André Breton's attack on the performance artist Tristan Zara as a mere publicity-mongering imposter. Now a mock trial of Monsieur Breton has been held in a Paris cafe with the composer Eric Satie serving as judge and over 100 other avant-garde artists in attendance from Pablo Picasso to Jean Cocteau. Monsieur Breton appeared shaken by the viciousness of the charges leveled against him and there is talk that the trial may even mark the end of dadism.
In sports news, Czechoslovakia has defeated Sweden 3-2 to win the European Ice Hockey Championship. The boxing promoter Tex Ricard, who runs Madison Square Garden, has been arrested on charges of abducting and sexually assaulting four underage girls. When you and I were young, Maggie, do you remember reading that book, How to Live a Century and Grow Old Gracefully? It was written by Dr. James Martin Peebles, the anti-vaccination physician, spiritualist, vegetarian, and chairman of Peebles Institute of Health in Battle Creek, Michigan, manufacturers of Dr. Peebles' epilepsy remedy. The book about how to live a century was a bestseller in 1884 when Dr. Peebles was 62 and determined to live up to its title. Alas, he has fallen a few weeks short. Dr. Peebles is dead just 36 days before reaching his centennial. Friends say they plan to go ahead with what will now be a, quote, post-mortem 100th birthday party at which they expect him to deliver a message from the other side. Richard Beddoes was an Englishman from Liverpool who fought for the Union side in the American Civil War and was awarded the Medal of Honour for his actions at the Battle of Spotsylvania Courthouse in 1864. He is dead at 78. Newton Knight started the war on the other side from Mr. Beddoes, but in Mississippi he rebelled against the Confederacy and led a group of Confederate deserters into seceding from the secessionists and proclaiming Jones County, Mississippi, the free state of Jones and part of the United States. Mr. Knight is dead at 92. Texas John Slaughter was a Western lawman who attracted the Apache chief Geronimo and brought in the notorious Taylor gang. He played poker and didn't like to be cheated out of his winnings. The cattle rustler Brian Gallagher tried it, and Texas John tracked him all the way from San Antonio to New Mexico and shot him down. John Slaughter is dead at 80. Dr. Albert Shelton was the first Christian missionary to receive permission from the Dalai Lama to enter Tibet, and he established a thriving mission at Batang. However, he wished to penetrate deeper into the mountain kingdom. Instead, en route to Markham Gartok, he was ambushed by brigands and shot the following day. Dr. Shelton is dead at 46. And that's the way of the world, February 1922. A hundred years from today. A hundred years from today. Mark Stein's Clubland Q&A live across the planet uh, during a dramatic day in Ottawa. Um, We heard the obituary notices from a century ago just there. I would like to uh, add one for 2022, one of our Mark Stein Club members and a marvellous blogger. I first got to know him uh, during the Sinatra Centennial 
observances, uh, which is what, seven years ago now, when he and the evil blogger lady and I uh, and a couple of others all uh, passed the year picking out favorite Sinatra tracks and all the rest of it. Uh, Bob Belvedere blogged at Camp of the Saints. Uh, he took that seriously. He took the threats and he took the decay and he took the suicidal tendencies of Western civilization seriously. And he had been in appalling health the last couple of years, but he just kept staggering on, staggering on for as long as he could. Bob has died and uh, we send our condolences to all uh, his family and friends. He he had a magnificent, clear insight into what was going on, and he put it all down in a book uh, derived from his Camp of the Saints writing. But I hope the Camp of the Saints blog stays up there. You probably won't be able to find it too easily on a Google search, but you can get there, Bob's website, Camp of the Saints, and we shall surely miss him. I mentioned that um, Andrew Lawton, our friend and colleague and sometime guest host here, had been uh, pepper sprayed by the police in Ottawa. This was this happened about uh, 20 minutes ago, and he's just put up a picture of it on his Twitter feed at, at Andrew Lawton, and he says, police just pepper sprayed me. I was several feet away from their front line and had obeyed every order to move back, but they pepper sprayed him anyway. And he put up a picture of himself with red eyes. And uh, I'd just like to read you some of the responses. I'm just going from what's the top one I'm looking at here from Kent. Kent says, if true, perhaps if he had taken their advice to go home, he'd be OK. Devil's Advocate, on the other hand, doesn't believe it. He says, doubtful. Dan Martin. Dan Martin says, uh, Andrew's faking it with Johnson's baby shampoo. Friedrich Wilhelm Victor says to Andrew, comply. Adrienne. Adrienne says, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. And Snowy MB1 says, so they hold a city hostage and now play the victim card. Typical. And Will Dunn of WD Photography. Do you need any photographs? Will Dunn of WD Photography. He'll be, he'll be happy to take your photograph, particularly after the coppers have uh, batoned you into the ground. Uh, w, Will Dunn of WD Photography says protesters and journalists have been literally warned several times to get well out of the way. Uh, Robert Novak says, is this your version of they were asking for it by believing in the charter? Todd Neal says, excellent. Uh, this, th These are... These are the replies. I'm just reading them out in order. And Canada Girl says, would you like some cheese with your wine? W-H-I-N-E. These are the responses from Twitter. I could just keep going. 
I could just keep going. All the ones that I support, there are ones that are supportive of him, but oddly enough, on Twitter, they're the ones that are hidden because you might find them offensive. So you might find sympathizing with a guy who's been pepper sprayed uh, offensive, according to Twitter. We live in evil times. We live in evil times. You know, the funny thing is the point at which, and this is why... Uh, people like Naomi Wolf and RFK Jr. You know, all the if you're a quote unquote liberal, if you're on the left, you assume throughout that you're the good guy, that you're the good guy. Because nobody wants to be the bad guy. People <laughs> people go around thinking that that, you know, when they go, oh, how could how could the German? Well, because a lot of people thought the Germans, uh, they, th- they thought that Adolf Hitler and his particular view of German nationalism made them the good guys. You know, nobody goes around and says, oh, yes, yes, uh, I'm, uh, I'm uh, just a little schnooky, nebbish of an accountant, but I'd like to join the bad guys. Most people want to be with the good guys. And all these liberals gloating and hooting with delight at Andrew Lawton being pepper sprayed, they all think they're the good guys. And not until they realize that in supporting this emergency, in supporting, in loosing, in transforming limited democratic governments into people with absolute power over your lives, people who can freeze your bank account, smash your car windows, pepper spray you with impunity, that in fact you're the bad guys. Until that happens, nothing is going to change. Um, so we need more Naomi Wolfs and we need more RFK, uh, RFK Jr. Anyway, that's what's been happening to Andrew Lawton in the course of this show just uh, 20 minutes ago. And um, he's, uh, he's posted on Twitter a picture. And I think you'll uh, enjoy scrolling through those comments and seeing what nice liberal Canadians think of him. It's, um, you know, it's... It's actually quite. Uh, it's actually quite uh, uh, shocking. Um, Jeff Estes says, "Hi, Mark. I've read reports of Australian police admitting to the use of long-range acoustic devices. Yeah, this will be the next thing they're doing to uh, Andrew, uh, because, as Jeff says, these long-range acoustic devices that they use on peaceful protesters cause serious injuries. This seems to be an." incredibly dangerous escalation of force on otherwise law-abiding citizens. Yet not a peep of this is mentioned in American news outlets. Oh, you do surprise me, Jeff. Oh, uh, I wish I knew what town you lived in so I knew which of those dull, unreadable Gannett mono dailies that's a bit of uh, basically, uh, what it, what's, what's it called, US News or whatever it's called, a bit of fish wrap with a couple of pages of local news tucked in the middle. Uh, I do wish I knew which one of those have been uh, reading. Or oh, you've been watching ABC, CBS, NBC, uh, which is what, 20 minutes of big pharma ads <laughs> punctuated by crapola, uh, 
is mushy-eyed, soft-focused drivel about the Biden administration. There's nothing worse than uh, nothing worse than American newspapers and American uh, network news. It's complete codswallop, uh, and it's no surprise they don't have anything about Australian police using long-range acoustic devices on law-abiding citizens. And Jeff says, I'm concerned the lack of reporting is a tacit approval of these measures elsewhere and would like to know your thoughts on how U.S. citizens may react with these dangerous devices used against U.S. citizens. Well, these these long-range acoustic devices, which I think are actually an American invention, although I wouldn't swear to that. But it's basically... They're, they're, it's a crowd control device, officially, in which you can use it as a loudspeaker, but it's more efficient than holding up a bullhorn. So a lot of the heavy police vehicles uh, now have these LRAD, long-range acoustic devices, on. And it's basically, although they say it's enabled them to say, please move away like they did to Andrew Lawton before they pepper sprayed him. It's basically a, a sonic weapon. Um, it, it can give you uh, tinnitus uh, permanently. It can give you permanent hearing loss. It can even, depending where you happen to be standing, give you permanent brain damage. Uh, and countries all over the world since it was invented have... Uh, have bought it up. Not sometimes not for their police forces. I believe in the UK only the Ministry of Defence has it. In Australia, uh, almost all state police forces, uh, Victoria, South Australia, Queensland, uh, Western Australia have this thing. Uh, but the country that is what I find odd about your question is that the country uh, that uses its most against its own citizens is, any guesses, uh, anybody? Yes, the United States. Uh, I first came across it. Um, I think it's been used, uh, let me put it this way, I think it's been used for over a decade. But I first became acquainted with it when it was used by the St. Louis guys in uh, the wake of um, uh, the... Uh, the guy, what was he called, Brown, who got uh, shot. And in the protests that followed, they did. If you remember those uh, pictures of an occupation army going out in the big Hummers and armored vehicles, all those armored vehicles were fitted with long-range acoustic devices. And they're used regularly. They were used for, uh, you know, name whatever, Kenosha. Uh, the protests there uh, use these long-range acoustic devices. So uh, Americans have been being uh, being LRAD'd uh, over 12, uh, for uh, something like 12 years or something, 12, 13 years, something like that now. And I regret, as you know, I'm no fan of paramilitary policing. I believe in... I, I still believe in Sir Robert Peel's principles when he set up the uh, Metropolitan Police and the police wore blue to contrast with military red because he'd seen the French model, uh, which prevails to this day, 
where the French police are basically a branch of the military and they have military titles and all the rest of it. And he didn't want that. But one of the fascinating things about the vibrancy of our diversity is that we have a lot of countries degenerating into hostile, mutually hostile camps requiring a big state presence uh, to, uh, to enforce relations between them. So we're having to get used to that. And then, of course, we have the fact that these groups are not all equal before the law. So, for example, the emergency regulations that apply to you if you are a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant Canadian uh, or even a white uh, Francophone Catholic Canadian do not apply to immigrants, refugees, and uh, First Nations Canadians, that's in Indians. So, in other words, it's a selective, uh, it's a selective emergency. It's a selective emergency. Uh, Anne Pinkova says, Hi, Mark. I mean, thinking about what you said with truckers being an odd segment of the population to protest, and I don't think so. When you drive that much mass at speed, you have to be wary of not only your movements, but of everyone around you. It's a profession not characterized by loneliness, but of power under strength and immediate consequences to life and property should a mistake occur. I believe that the knowledge of real consequences contributes to truckers taking the long view of government interference. Yes, I think that's I think that's all uh, very fair, and I I certainly uh, I I didn't say it was characterized by loneliness so much as that it's 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 periods of loneliness hours and hours of loneliness that is com quite at odds with the way, say, people uh, in, you know, in the cubicle world uh, live these days, or even people working as baristas in Starbucks. It's a lot of time to think about things. And I know, as, as, as most people will know, that if you are if you work and talk radio, that a lot of the people who call you are truckers because they're a lot of the people, particularly on late night shows, there's the, they're the guys who are listening as they're driving through the night. But I do think that's one of the reasons why they actually um, know what it is they're there for and they know what it is they want uh, because those hours alone in the cab are, can be very clarifying as to what you as to what you think about things. David says, "Hi, Mark. Why are we not hearing more of the connections between major political players, i.e., Ms. Freeland, uh, Freeland by name, but Freeland by nature, not by nature." Uh, major political players and the World Economic Forum. Seems there would be a story there. <laughs> there certainly would. Again, though, I don't know quite what the story is meant to be. You know, we have a, we've had a lot of discussion in recent weeks as to how far you want to go with the conspiracy theory and everything. But I don't even know if it's a conspiracy, if they're actually saying it out loud. And two years ago now when I posted that clip with Klaus Schwab and the Prince of Wales 
and these other people, most of whom you've never heard of, but are, you know, CEOs of this or that, talking about the, the great reset, talking about the new normal, they're completely up front. I, I'm, you know, I try not to bother with things that I don't really care about, like whether or not, you know, Justin Trudeau is Fidel Castro's son. Because it's, it's not really, connect, what we have at the, it's not really connected with, you know, I don't take a view, I don't, don't take a view on that. He might be, he might not be. Stranger things have happened. But here's, here's the thing. You know, we're up against people who tell us every day that they loathe uh, settled, constitutional, long-evolved democracies, uh, that they believe in a world, uh, and as I pointed out with that little World Economic Forum Great Reset thing of Klaus Schwab. Now, Klaus Schwab is almost like a parody sinister Teuton. He's not German, he's Swiss, but he's a German Swiss, and uh, all he needs is a monocle and a dueling scar down his face, <laughs> and, he'd, and he'd have stepped right out of any parody of, uh, of, of Teutonic control freak. And then the only guy in that who had any sort of uh, slender connection to accountability is the Prince of Wales, who, if our world survives long enough, uh, will be inheriting the thrones of various constitutional monarchies uh, where his, his nominal executive power is constrained by the people's representatives assembled in those parliaments. But what we have is a situation where all the people who matter talk every day. You know, what do you think net zero is? You know, these are people with uh, crazy millenarian visions. And the, if the thing is, you think about the nice people in Canada. I mentioned uh, the other day David Suzuki. Well, David Suzuki has, is already on record as saying that protecting the environment is more important than democracy. You know, so if uh, he, was, he was talking about this at the time Stephen Harper was prime minister. So if Stephen Harper really isn't willing to play his part in tanking the global economy to save the environment, then he should be arrested and he should be put in prison. And it doesn't matter whether the people voted for him and, uh, and Parliament decided that he should be the person uh, to become prime minister. Uh, obviously, if he's uh, opposed to responsible, prudent climate change measures, then he has to be put in jail. You have to be an idiot to think that democracy is more important than saving the planet. They talk like this every day. And they have done so for years. And so we're surprised when they, when they do something like they've done, not just this last week, uh, but in the last two years. I don't even know how the World Economic Forum became a thing. 
all the people with private jets fly. It is, it's like a parody of the Spectre board meeting in any, you know, in On Her Majesty's Secret Service. All the bad guys fly in to hold a, uh, a, a private conference at a Swiss ski lodge where they make plans for the rest of us. Why is it taken, you know... There should have been a lot more objection to that kind of thing. Um, John Fatchy says, When we experience a legend, one of the greatest who has ever contributed to a particular industry or discipline, it is not long before it's obvious that they will never be replaced or equaled. In this case, it feels even more tragic, and it is. Now our nation is at stake and we must all rise to save the American legacy for our children and our liberty. But that burden is infinitely heavier without Rush Limbaugh III, the greatest standard bearer of our generation. Thank you, Mr. Sign, for maintaining your standard for excellence. That I thank Rush for introducing you to me. God bless Rush, God bless you, and God bless America and all of Western Civ. We fight today from the most advantageous position we can expect to launch this campaign to defend our freedom. I hope so, John. I hope so. It's interesting to me that a lot of uh, American media outlets show the pictures of Justin Trudeau in blackface that the CBC never do. It's interesting that you have to watch foreign television to see any honesty about who the Prime Minister of Canada really is. And that's a good sign. And then there are signs that I don't think are quite so healthy. I notice that a lot of the political talk shows have uh, moved to a sort of slightly different format now, uh, where they're talking to various uh, representatives of these hideous corporate sports that are all in league with the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, and I take it that that's uh, better for ratings and less of a bummer. But I don't think, you know, Rush for a third of a century had a brilliant grasp of what's the story to talk about. Uh, and that that that's, in, that's uh, incredible. And I'm not sure uh, that a lot of the talk radio guys today are quite as good as he was on that. Philip Paustian says, It seems to me Rush Limbaugh realized that it is more interesting if an interesting person talks to the audience directly than if they listen to two interesting people. So with his talent and confidence, he made a stronger connection with the listener than others. I found him as funny as Mort Saul, Bob and Ray, and Mark Stein combined. He was never boring which is very hard to do in such a long career. I feel his connection to his audience equaled that of Sinatra singing. You're quite right about that. Um, that's radio, Philip, you know, that it's one person making the connection. And Rush said, back when he started, he said, no, I'm not going to be having guests. I mean, he did once in a while. Once in a while, he'd have a vice president or a president uh, or a cabinet secretary he happened to particularly like. But it was like once a year, once every two years, because he understood it was the connection between hi him talking for three hours is why people were there. 
uh, and uh, and and you're quite right about that. You're, there's there was nothing like that. That was a unique connection, and you know, to be honest, uh, it's I I worry about the entire format, which seems to be slipping away from us. I worry about that. A lot has changed. It's a year since he died, and an awful lot has changed. A little bit of music to close, and um, I can't pretend it's going to be anything terribly cheering at the end of this glum week. Something has changed. The fact is, if Trudeau gets away uh, with what he's done, then he and successors will do it again, and prime ministers operating in the Westminster system around the planet will do it again, and we will be entering a very dark world. There is no emergency. There is a man who imposed a vaccine requirement that has no science behind it. As I pointed out uh, yesterday on the Mark Stein show at GB News, uh, 87% of deaths in the last month in Scotland have been of the vaccinated. There is no science behind requiring everyone to get this thing. Uh, the United States is talking about mandating annual shots at the very minimum and it will soon they're recommending shots every five months which is terrible medical advice we will wreck your body if you think about it here's you know if you think about it putting something in someone's body in all seven and a half billion people, prescribing the same medicine for seven and a half billion people, that's, that's never been done before. And it's obviously bound to lead to thousands and hundreds of thousands and maybe millions of deaths, not necessarily next week or next year, but a half decade or a decade down the line because you're putting it into the bodies of people who don't need this thing. Now, if you go back to thalidomide, which was the last big thing, really, I guess, in the late 50s, I think that was introduced in Germany. Uh, and it was for, you know, pregnant mothers who were feeling a little depressed. Well, that's a niche market, a niche demographic. And as we know, there were large numbers of babies born with uh, shortened arms and legs and various other deformities, if one can still say the word deformity. But that was just in, the tar in a very small target niche. What do you think you're going to get if every country on earth, as they're telling us, has to have this thing? They want to put it in, they want to stick it in seven and a half billion people. Although your best chance of avoiding it is to go to somewhere in Africa where they're very slow getting around to getting their supplies of it. But obviously, if you're sticking, if you're sticking something into the bodies 
of hundreds of millions of people who don't need it, bad things are going to happen. And that leads me, you know, to again the big thought I think came up on last week's show that that the that the best evidence that something went wrong at our end, regardless of what the Chinese were up to, but that we understood in February of 2020 when uh, the emails that have been released show that Fauci and all the other big shots, uh, their private emails were completely at odds with their public statements, is, is because... Uh, a large part of the how this thing happened came from our end of it. And that explains the lockdowns that aren't medically justified, the permanent emergency that isn't medically justified, the determination uh, to make uh, going to work, uh, traveling, dependent on vaccines that aren't medically justified. And now the last week in Ottawa and basically the imposition of war measures that aren't justified by anything all goes back to the fact that uh, there is some dark secret at our end uh, about our complicity in what has been going on what went on in Wuhan in late uh, 2019. You could make the argument that uh, it wasn't really in it wasn't really in Chairman Xi's interest to infect the world. I mean, he had reasons to push back against Trump, but there's something else. But there is something else going on, some dark secret. And again, it comes back to, as Kate Smythe likes to say, you know, these people want us to live smaller, shrunken lives. They tell us about it all the time. They're talking about, you know, reducing your carbon footprint. Well, for most people, that means living crappier lives. Most people in the West. They want to impose uh, carbon taxes so you can't go abroad, you can't travel. They want you to have fewer babies or maybe no babies because that's irresponsible. They're on a continuum that doesn't go anywhere good. So when they suddenly accelerate out, as Justin Trudeau has, it's important to bear in mind that these are people who climbed on board that um, moving walkway. And we shouldn't be surprised, having gotten on that moving walkway, we shouldn't be surprised that they get a little impatient and ask for the speed to be cranked up a bit, which has happened. Nevertheless, there have been shameful scenes this week, Uh, None more shameful than in the House of Commons in Ottawa. Uh, As we mentioned, it isn't sitting today, but when it did sit earlier this week, uh, Justin Trudeau accused Tory MP Melissa Lantzman of, quote, standing with people who wave swastikas. Ms. Lantzman 
is Jewish. Trudeau, aside from being a mammy singer, is the son of a man who spent much of the war motorcycling around Montreal wearing a German army helmet. He thought it was cute. The CBC, uh, the CTV and other arms of the Trudopian press did not feature the clip of Justin Trudeau accusing a Jew of being a Nazi. Uh, There was no government diktat, as we've talked about. There's no need for one. The media instinctively closed ranks to protect an ugly man with whom they nevertheless believe their future lies. And all those producers and presenters and reporters are convinced they did the right thing in keeping Trudeau's words in the House of Commons, from the Commons, from the Canadian people, because no one likes to think that they're the bad guys, do they? The sun on the meadow is summery one. The stag in the forest runs free. But gather together to greet the storm. Tomorrow belongs to me. Branch of the linden is leafy and green. The rhyme gives its gold to the sea. But somewhere a glory of it's unseen. Tomorrow belongs to me. Your children have prayed.
From the film version of Cabaret, John Kander's music, Fred Ebb's words, and very cleverly staged by Bob Fosse. Oliver Collignon played the blonde, blue-eyed boy on screen. Mark Lambert dubbed his singing voice. This story moves hour by hour, and we will stay on it, as we have done all week on The Mark Stein Show at GB News. Uh, We'll also have music and movies and a new Sunday poem right here at Stein Online. Stay safe, stay free. Stein's Clubland Q&A is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. All rights reserved.